Welcome back to another episode of Keone Chats. So if you've been watching my episodes through YouTube and seen that my backdrop has taken two different iterations. So the first set, it was just me on this purple couch, which actually is covered by a blanket right now, with just, let's say, a couple photos in the backdrop because that's all I could fit. So I knew that once, if I wanted to continue growing the show, I needed to get a better backdrop, get a backdrop that include more of me, uh, and then that's what you see uh, and what you've seen over the last maybe 10 or so episodes. So uh, I'm mentioning all this because this is actually my last episode with this backdrop. So I'll be moving and I'm a little sad to uh, not just A, to, to move because if you're listening to the show, uh, you probably know that I live with my brother. So I'm going to be a little sad that he's not going to be right there for me to bug anymore. But I know I need my own space and I'm very excited to finally uh, get a real podcast studio that I can not just have more of my, co my comic book posters hanging around, but just have all my tech just ready to use instead of uh, having a set up time and just having some separation from podcast life to just normal like sleeping life because currently my podcast studio is also my bedroom. So I'm not going to hide that. It's, it, it's, it's worked so far, but now it's time for a new, a new change, a new change of scenery and just see how see how it looks so I have no idea I'm very I'm nervous I'm excited so uh, it, it's gonna be a process so uh, I'm actually gonna take the next two weeks off from the show so that next time you can expect an episode from Keone Chats will be April 17th for my last episode with this backdrop in this setting I'm very happy to have my my best friend from high school Jake Island be my guest today so I met Jake through high school wrestling and uh, I think just you know crossing paths during the halls of uh, Sunset High School. So I knew he was such a friendly guy. He was such a people person, and he was very much a storyteller, which is fun for me to relive again because it's outside of this conversation. The last time I talked to him was about ten, maybe twelve years ago, which is a very long time ago. You know, seeing his face and be able to hear his voice and be able to know that he's you know still persevering, still pushing on with. Uh, his career military and still surviving after all of the injuries which everyone will find out about during this episode uh, you know he's, he's a tough son of a gun so I don't think anything can really bring him down outside of probably you know weak knees because of a lot of things but any anyway. yeah so uh, it, it was great to catch up with him so I'm looking to uh, keep up with him following this episode and if you're here just to check out Jake Allen's episode, I urge you check out all of the other ones. You know, I've had 42 other episodes. These are people that I think are doing amazing things and people that I think are, you know, living interesting lives. And I'm, I'm happy. I'm so excited to get their name out there to the public sphere through social, through not just social media, like you know, giving them blasts, you know, the good blast. So, you know, just getting their story out there to Spotify and YouTube's and uh, just you know just getting the story out there so check out any of my other episodes they're all fantastic people and if you want to keep up with the show as far as episode releases you can follow KC Media on social media that's KC Media 13 on Instagram and Twitter and then Conlu K Media on Facebook so on YouTube look up Keone Chats and you'll be able to find all of my episodes there also with my, my picture so hopefully that's uh that made it easier to to find me so yeah uh it's these are these are fantastic 
uh, people that I've talked to. I'm looking to talk to more fantastic people. Uh, if you would like to be a guest, go ahead and email me on kcmedia13 on, at yahoo.com. And then I'll love to hear your story and also get you scheduled for a uh, for an interview. And I am making a lot of progress on my first and probably only mock draft. Um, and I believe the, the two to three sentence analysis is working out perfectly fine. So I, I believe I'm heading into the uh, mid-20s uh, mid um, when it comes to the uh, draft position. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, and then uh, all my episodes and all my creative content, not just shout out through social media, they are available on my website, keoniconlu.com, K-E-O-N-I-C-O-N-L-U.com. I forgot to plug that the last couple episodes, so hopefully that's not forgotten about. Uh, so yeah, follow on social media, check us out on all podcast platforms and YouTube, and check out my website for more creative content. However you are, listening to this episode through whichever platform you prefer, or if you are watching through YouTube. I hope you enjoy my chat with Jake Island. When it comes to this, I'm having a, a show where I can tell, have people come on my show and tell their life stories. It's nice to go back to where it all started. It's nice to go back to the very beginning. Okay. Oh, you know, like high school is the very beginning enough. My guest, Jake Island, someone I've known since high school, back when he had less tattoos, a little more hair and, you know, probably a little thinner frame, but you know, he's oh, like 90 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> same goofy SOB. Well, how you doing? Are we... We were talking a little bit before we recorded about how you're helping out with some COVID clinics. Uh, how has that been to just, you know, see, just to, just to be a part of that wave of healing? Uh, honestly, it's been pretty awesome. Um, you know, with the, we had the older group coming through first and, you know, I had, you know, elderly women calling me handsome like three times a day. So it's like a huge, huge confidence booster. Uh, here ego that. ego wow. is through the roof right now. Oh yeah. Uh, but now I, you know, I, when I, when I, I joined active duty, I kind of wanted to get away from home, do something crazy. And, uh, when I finished my first four years, transferred over to the national guard and I was like, you know, I want to be closer to home, be closer to the community and, you know, like help out the, the people that I signed up for. And, uh, so when I transferred to Idaho, you know, we, we didn't have a ton of missions that were like that. I mean, it's not, there's no hurricanes or anything like that around here. And, uh, so when they offer orders like, hey, you get to be with the community, you get to see the people that you know you're here for to like protect or help with in a state of emergencies or anything like that. And I was just like, well, I mean, I got nothing else going on and my job gets held for me. So I figured I'd go some active on the active duty state orders and it's been uh, it's been pretty nice. So hanging out at a college campus here, um, some uh, indifferent looks, but uh, not just you know, people are people. It is what it is. But uh, I'm I'm happy to be here. I get to help out, and I uh, I'm, I'm grateful. So I've been having a pretty good time up here for the last few weeks, and hope that continues until September. <laughs> what, what's kind of cool is that you know I got my COVID first vac shot on Thursday. You got yours on Friday. 
I, I just remember when I went, I saw a bunch of military people like doing the registration process saying, asking some, entering some info. Uh, and then that was kind of the extent of what I saw the military's uh, involvement with the COVID rollout. What, what did you do specifically? You know, I know we talked about it before, but just. Uh... Oh yeah. Um, so I started in Boise uh, for a couple of days before they gave me travel orders. And I was just kind of helping out front desk clinic. It was pretty basic. Um, but uh, they moved me up to Moscow, so about five and a half hours north of Boise. And uh, so I'm helping out the hospital that's in town here. We do all the scheduling, appointment reminders, uh, field all the phone calls for people that have questions about the side effects or availability of dosages, you know, dates, that sort of thing. And then uh, twice a week, we probably bump it up to three, depending on how many people sign up, because we just lowered our age limit. Um, but twice a week, we help out the clinics. Uh, we, you know, older people have a lot more mobility issues than, you know, college students. So we had a whole bunch of amenities uh, set up, you know, wheelchair access vans and carts and stuff like that to help people get in and out of the clinic, um, helping people get all their cards scanned, registered, uh, organized, given directions, that sort of thing. And uh, then a few times, or about once every other month or so, we do, uh, we help out with testing and uh swabbing and stuff like that. i don't do any swabbing because i'm not okay. all right I, that was but, my uh, follow-up question <laughs> <yeah. sorry. laughs> no we have a we have a large medical detachment in idaho the a few hundred medical personnel the we don't have any of them up here so it's you know the hospital staff has quite a few uh nurses and pas stuff like that that are helping with uh issuing the shots and the, and the swabs but uh, no, in other parts of the state, they got a whole bunch of medics lined up, giving doses and and doing tests and all that jazz. Okay, yeah, it's well when COVID started gun roll, I felt like there's so much fear everywhere. I'm sure you felt it too, be on the military side of it all. How did it feel to finally give some people relief, like at least getting the first one done? It's like it's getting close. To, how'd you feel being a part of that step? It was pretty good. Um, you know, they, uh, the public here, there's, I mean, like I said earlier, there's a lot of people that wanted the vaccine, a lot of people that don't, and I'm just, I'm just kind of here to help. So we've had, uh, had a few people kind of like, what are you guys doing here? Do you believe in this and all that jazz? And I was like, I'm here for my community. That's, that's as far as I'm going to tell you. I mean, my personal opinion doesn't matter. I'm here to help people that want help and, yeah. uh, and that sort of thing. So, I'm, I was pretty happy that the, the older crowd got through pretty efficiently, um, kind of let stuff reopen again. I know a lot of the college students are pretty uh, pretty stoked about getting their first vaccine so they can go back to the bars and get blackout drunk and get <laughs> shit-faced and do all the things that college students do. This is true. That's immediately like, I don't think they're excited to get their vax to go back in the classroom. I'm sure to some degree, but they're more excited to like go to the college bars and be with their friends again and just you know, stumble into like a Qdoba near door and then just eat a bunch of drunken burritos. Oh yeah. We had this one girl, we just did our, uh, they, uh, the campus just came back from spring break. And, uh, so we had to do all their testing and everything. And so I was like talking to people. Cause it was kind of weird. Just have some stare at me while I was filling out their information. And I was like, you know, what are you guys doing on uh, your break? You do anything fun? This one girl's like, I went to Florida and I was like, Oh, do you have family there? She goes, nah, there's just, 
no rules there. I just kind of wanted to feel like life was normal for a week before uh, before I came back. I was like, so you got completely fucked up. She goes, oh, I got so fucked up. I barely remember it. I was like, that's awesome. You know, good for you. That's, that's you know, the fun part of being young. That is true. Like, you make those reckless mistakes, and then you can always just recover because it's not – it's not life or death. Yeah, hangovers don't last two or three days when you're 20. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So you went into military right out of high school. Do you ever miss that college experience of, you know, the college campus uh, life and all that? You know, uh, there was like a part of me that does. But uh, like I had a, a friend from Westview. She turned 21, uh, like right when I came home on a two-week leave. And so I drove to Corvallis and I hung out with her and her sorority sisters and a bunch of the frat guys. And I was like, yeah, you know, my, uh, my unit on active duty was the 82nd airborne and our patch is an AA and it stands for all American. There's a whole bunch of history behind that. But, um, most of the military calls us the all alcoholics because no. all you do is drink, uh, excessively. Like we would, we used to party till like, three, four o'clock in the morning, and then you wake up at 5.30 or 6, and you go run 8 to 12 miles, or you're doing a ruck march with a 50-pound pack or something like that. And I think about doing that now, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, I would have a heart attack. Like, I drink one beer, and I think about going on a 12-mile run, and I just start throwing up. Um, but, like, I got, like, bits and pieces of the college experience, and uh, after I left after duty, <clears throat> I went to PCC for about a year and a half. Um, and just didn't really feel like it was for me. I was pretty, uh, pretty content with the military life and, uh, and all that jazz. And I landed a, a pretty awesome job here in Idaho as a mechanic for the state. And one of the requirements is you have to be a National Guard member in order to do that. Uh, so they did on-the-job training. They sent me to schools pretty regularly. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty sweet job. So I never really saw myself uh, doing the whole office life. It was never, never really for me. Which is what I'm doing, but you know, that's it's yeah. still not like it's fun, but sometimes I do like being outside because I was a landscaper for about three months or so. And that was fun just to be out and about just to, you know, not have a office setting, just be able to have the, the car be my office for quote unquote. And oh, yeah, take me everywhere. And then the outdoors is everywhere in my office. But, I gotta say, my schedule is definitely my favorite. I, I work four tens, so you know, Tuesday through Friday I work, and I get three days off. Um, but uh, now we have tanks, armored personnel carriers, uh, ammo carriers for mobile artillery units, um, big up armored trucks, all kinds of engineered equipment for like digging tank ditches or trenches and stuff like that. So we have something like eight or nine vehicles. And then each of those has anywhere from one to four variants. So you're always kind of working on something new, mm -hmm. learn something new every day. So it kind of keeps everything interesting. Yeah. Cause it's when you, I'm a creature habit. I, I like a little routine. So I could see how changing that up periodically can keep things fresh and also keep your eyes like a little more, your head on a swivel as a sports yeah. terms used to be. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you went to PCC for nursing. Why, uh, why I was nursing? thinking about doing nursing. And then that just looked like an absolute nightmare once <laughs> I started doing my pre-racks. And I was like, maybe I'll just get my general studies uh, for my associates and kind of you know play it by ear and, and see what interests me from there. And I don't know, I just, you know, I was in the dumb, oh, I wasn't necessarily say the dumb people class, but uh it been five years since I was in any kind of school other than military stuff. So they had me do my, my pre-entry test. And of course, 
I didn't study for any of that. So <laughs> they put me in like that basic level algebra class. And there's all those kids that do the, uh, the early college and stuff like that. So there's 16, 17, 18 year olds there. And I was 23 and I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm a grandpa compared to these people. This is, this is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. I, uh, I took community college for, uh, I think the first couple of years when I went down to Eugene and yeah, there, it was very much of a mixed bag of like age, oh, yeah. aged folks. So I remember I would see like maybe someone close to my age. I'm like, oh, hey, look at that. Someone I can actually like talk to as some relations. But then some of those older folks also were, they're pretty fun. They're oh, pretty yeah. Cool. I mean, you, you got hit on by an older woman that was getting her shot on. Oh, wait, multiple older women. Mm-hmm. So- <laughs> Oh, someday we'll be like that, you know, just hit on random people for no reason whatsoever. I'm super stoked for when I get old there. I don't, I don't care about like the time off. I don't care about any of that. I just want to be able to loudly fart in public and not be judged for it. You know, cause like I do that already and I get judged for it. But like, if you're like 70 and up, they're just like, Oh, he, he's, he's an older guy. It's, it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's the dream right yeah. there. Fart in public, you know? So the military, like, for, you know, again, going back to before we started recording, I feel like it amplified your craziness. Just you have this, no just, idea. Yeah. yeah. I, um, <laughs> when I first signed up, I really wanted to go to uh, Ranger Selection. And uh, so they have Ranger School, which is like a leadership program, pretty hard school. And then they have the actual Ranger Regiment. And uh, there's like the special forces dude that just, you know, they do all the crazy, awesome stuff. They go to you know, all the, all the hot zones and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea for me. <laughs> so I went through my basic training and I went to my job school. Um, I was a logistics specialist when I, when I first came in and uh, after I finished my job school, so I went from Kentucky to Virginia and then from Virginia, I went to Fort Benning, Georgia. And that's where I did my airborne school and I'm terrified of heights. And uh, so that was uh, exhilarating um once you're out of the plane it, it's not that bad you like you have a crazy wide view of everything and you really have no choice once you're out of the plane but uh, I definitely hesitated on my like second jump for just a split second and then the jump master was like okay and just kicked me in the back and launched me out of that plane oh my uh, God. and then my fourth jump so you have to do five qualifying jumps in order to get certified as a paratrooper and my fourth jump, my main shoot cigarette rolled, which means it's just like, it's just a tube like that. It's not actually open. Mm-hmm. So I start yanking on my reserve shoots handle. And normally like these things, you flick them and it'll pop open and your reserve shoot comes out. Uh, mine didn't do that. So I was free falling a bit, uh, straight up shit my pants. Like that's not an exaggeration. It, it went in there and uh, I was like, hey, you know, at least I'm going to die doing something really cool. And uh, maybe they'll think I shit myself after I died. So it'd be fine. Yeah, and then yeah. I felt this really hard snap on my shoulder. And I looked up, my chute opened up um, about two thirds of the way. And then this gust of wind hit me and I back flopped in a marsh. Didn't break anything, just a couple bruises. But I was like laying there just staring. I was like, I don't know what the hell just happened. I don't know if I'm dead or alive right now. And I had this they, uh, in airborne school, they have jump masters all over the drop zone to tell you what you messed up on. And this guy walks over kind of leans in on his hands and knees and goes, welcome to heaven. And I just, if I hadn't already shit myself, I definitely would have at that point. Um, but he was like, so, hey, I got great news for you. I was like, what's that, Sergeant? He's like, you uh, you still get to jump again tomorrow. And I was like, 
sweet. Um, <laughs> but uh, I finished airborne school and I went to ranger selection and you do like a pre-course where you get, you roughly train about 20 hours a day. Um, and uh, they have this whole obstacle course. They have like this six or 700 pound log and you pick that up with uh, like a squad worth of people. You'll run around a quarter mile track and then you do this whole obstacle course. And then once they've done that for about two miles worth of carrying the log, then you get to go inside once you're exhausted and you, uh, you take classes on the history of the ranger unit. And then if anyone falls asleep, which they always do because everyone's exhausted, then you get the shit smoked out of you again. You'll go back to the obstacle course, which is conveniently right outside the school. Um, but I ended up blowing my knee out. Uh, so you do, I did that pre-course and then I went to the actual course. And at the end of the first week, we were doing this uh, trail run through the woods and I was going down this ravine. They got this rope. So you kind of shimmy yourself down. And I got my foot stuck uh, in this dry Creek bed. And I was reaching down to pull my foot out and this huge dude behind me, let go of the rope and just started rolling, hit me. And then my knee bent outwards oh. and that's pretty good. My femur hit the back of my kneecap. Oh. So, I had like a six month recovery time. And uh, so I got dropped from the program and they sent me to the 82nd airborne in North Carolina. And I got there, there was, it was a ghost town. I couldn't find anybody. So you'll do three days in processing. You get all your equipment, your extra uniforms, your unit assignment, uh, all that jazz. So I got to my unit in North Carolina and I'm walking in. I got all my duffel bags and my rucksack. I'm looking around. I go to the headquarters building. I set my stuff down. I'm just kind of waiting. About five minutes goes by and the sergeant walks out eating an apple. And he was like, who the fuck are you? I'm, like, I'm, I'm private island sergeant. He's like, I don't know an island. It's like, oh, okay. Are you new? I was like, uh, yes, yes, sergeant. I'm new. He's like, all right. Are you packed? Um yeah still packed I've, I've been here about 10 minutes now sergeant he's like all right don't unpack i was like why not he's like you're gonna leave for iraq in two weeks i was like oh oh fuck you. okay oh. then oh so uh yeah my dad brought my girlfriend out for a, uh, a weekend before i left my mom came out the weekend before that and then uh, i uh i remember in sixth grade i told my my i was sitting at breakfast my mom my brother and there was, they, my mom had the news on and there was all this stuff going on in Iraq. And uh, I was like, I'm going to join the army when I'm 18. And my mom goes, you're an idiot. There's still going to be a war going on. And I said, there's no way that it's going to be lasting that long. Oh. So the first thought in my mind, but I landed in Kuwait to get transferred over to Iraq. I was just like, son of a bitch. She was right. <laughs> so I called her and she was like, yeah. Do you remember that conversation when you were straight up? But now we we got pretty wild. You know, there was a there was the the airborne unit I was in. You get in barracks brawls all the time. Like one minute you'll be just be barbecuing, somebody's drunk, they throw a punch, then everybody's just fighting in the barracks, and then you know everyone just kind of stops and you look at each other and you just go right back to drinking and eating and hanging out. <laughs> um, we had uh, a couple of unofficial rules in my unit. You had to, to, in order to be a true paratrooper, you had to take a PT test while drunk and score a 270 out of 300. You had to take one hungover and score a 270 out of 300. And you also had to jump and um, uh, you had to jump drunk and hungover at least once. So I knocked all that out pretty quick. Um, yeah. So, okay, okay so you know going there are a few things i want to unpack real quick so 
during that parachute uh, <laughs> training you did where it's, you know, you landed the marsh. Now, how, how are you hyping yourself up? How are you like getting yourself to like put, get over that edge to get yourself going and still, cause I, I have, I mean, I've, I've for people that listen to the show, I have anxiety. So it's like thinking about like, Oh, I would jump. And then what if this doesn't happen? Oh, what if that hasn't happened? Like when your shoot wasn't opening, how do you, how'd you stay cool in that situation? Uh, you don't. <laughs> yeah, you don't. Um, so we actually, so there hasn't been a combat jump, uh, like into a foreign country since like the, since 2001, mm-hmm. there was a, there's a unit called the 173rd. They're based in Italy and they did a jump in Afghanistan. But I mean, we, we moved through during the invasion and, uh, was that 0304 um the uh u.s troops got to baghdad in less than 30 days you know it's no point in dropping paratroopers in um but uh no so the main thing so you, you're standing you're sitting on the plane you get you know you got your shoot and everything on you're kind of standing there and you see a lot of you know, some guys have a thousand yards there other guys are just adrenaline junkies that are going ape shit and the uh jump master will stand up and he'll you know flash his hands 10 minutes and then uh, he does the hookup. So you'll hook your cable inside the plane. And then you just uh, check equipment. So you check the guy's pack in front of you, make sure there's nothing loose or frayed or sitting out or anything. And then he says one minute and they open the door and then everybody just starts screaming. You just start yelling. You start, you know, you just do all this stuff and get all hyped up. You got all the Air Force crew members that are looking at you like you're absolutely insane. And uh, the one way I was able to get out of that plane the closest I ever was was the uh, I was the third jumper, so I was right next to the door, and you can just see everything wishing by. And in airborne school, you jump at twelve hundred feet, and in your actual unit, you usually jump around eight hundred. So uh, the the joke was that if you have a parachute malfunction, you have the rest of your life to fix it. And so that was kind of something we told each other. And uh, I would just stare at the person's helmet in front of me. I was like, if they can make it out of the plane, I can fucking make it out out of this plane. And uh, so you'll come up to the jump master, you have your static line, because uh, your parachute opens with your body weight, there's nothing that you pull yourself unless it's a reserve chute. And uh, so you'll hand off your static line, jump master will grab it, you let go, he pulls, he or she pulls it back, and then you just kind of turn and hurl yourself out of that plane. But once you get any part of yourself, like one time my foot came out just a little bit and it like sucked me right out of the plane and I slammed my head on the inside of the door frame. Ooh. Don't remember like five hours of my life, but apparently I was still conscious. I was just blacked out. It was weird. And then the next memory I had was I, uh, I, I remembered being in the shoot shed, getting everything put on. And then the next thing I remember was I was on a bus and I was sitting next to my sergeant. I was like, where, where the fuck are we? Mm-hmm. She's like, on a bus i was like yeah but like geographically where, where are we i don't know 20 minutes outside of base and the drop zone's like an hour and a half away and i was just like oh she's like what's wrong with your eyes like, let me look at it i don't fucking know <laughs> and uh, she was like are, are you okay and i was like I, I don't know my head really hurts and she's like what's the last thing you remember and i told her she's like you're not going to sleep tonight and i was like oh awesome that sounds great for me um but now you just kind of you just kind of roll with it, you know, you, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a sergeant, so I'm in charge of people. At one point I had nine guys under me and I usually get the newer privates because um, I, I do a lot of the training when I was at dismount because I'm a, I, I do reconnaissance. I'm a cavalry scout for the army now in the National Guard. <clears throat> and so I, you know, teach guys how to build observation posts, how to get into them without being seen 
different ways to match your heat signature from thermals and, and all kinds of other stuff. And, uh, you know, like there will be times we were in California uh, two years ago and they talk about burrows. They're wild donkeys. And they specifically tell you not to fuck with the wildlife. And so like these burrows can kill you. Like, don't try and fight them. And I leaned over to my buddy and uh, I was like, is it weird that I want to fight one more now? And he's like, honestly, I was thinking the same thing. Well, we did like all of our, our prep and then our field training. We were kind of back and we had a few days after we got everything packed. We were just waiting to come back to Idaho. And uh, we were walking through the middle of the base and there was a burrow like in the middle of the street just kind of staring at us. And it was two of my buddies that are sergeants and then a few of our younger privates. And they all they all heard. And, and my buddy just goes, hey, didn't you say you wanted to fight one of those? And I was like... Yeah, I do. Hold my bag. So I'm like walking over to this thing. I was like, oh, God, please run away. Please run away. Please run away. <laughs> well, like, you know, when you got the younger guys, you're supposed to seem bulletproof. Yeah. So follow you. Right. And I'm like walking over in the burrow and just like running off. I was like, yeah, what's up? And I was like, oh, <laughs> my buddies. And uh, he was he was laughing. And all the privates were like, Sergeant Allen, dark are you fucking crazy? I was like, I don't know. My therapist said so. It's fine though. And then they just kind of get like this bigger than life picture of you. So, you know, they listen and it's you know, pretty common for a lot of sergeants in the military because we directly deal with, you know, 18 to 22 year olds that have fucking attitude problems. So yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, they, they, they don't larger than life. is a pretty big help. They, they want to just fight the, you know, the order establishment. They're always just like reckless. And it's like, you know, when you mentioned, I think it was before we recorded also that, you know, they, they think you're psycho. So they'll listen to you. <laughs> I very much remember that from high school as well. It's just like, you know, you're a friendliest guy, but then the one time someone crosses you the wrong way, you will just jump down their throat. So it's I, like, uh, oh, I don't ever yell like, you know, like, you know, in all the movies, the, the sergeants are always yelling and screaming. They call it the knife hand, you know, keep your knife hand sharp. You're always pointing at people because it's rude to use an index finger. <laughs> Um, but I don't, I don't yell. Cause I learned that, uh, cause I, I got screamed at all the time. I was a huge pain in the ass for my leadership when I was a private and, uh, you know, I got screamed at and it would just kind of go in one ear and out the other. I was like, I don't fucking care. Yeah. So I never did that. So the times that I do yell, it, it, it kind of has, uh, like a lot higher, like it, it means more. Keone Chats is probably sponsored by Vibes Training. Dylan Vibes is a good friend and former guest of the show. And after he did his time as a trainer for the big fitness circuits, he wanted to be his own man. He wanted to be his own business. So I wanted to support him any way I could. So I wanted to give him this platform to shout out his business. So if you go to vibestraining.com and then there's a blue button at the top of the screen, click on that, fill out the information field and sign up to be one of his clients. And after you sign up, he won't just be his client, he'll prompt you to download his app where you'll have a plethora of workouts ranging from five to 60 minutes, needing anything from maybe nothing and then maybe some bands and then you got some dumbbells, barbells, or even backpacks. So he's a very creative, he's very energetic and he's even having workouts in the park. So if you follow his Instagram account, Vibes Training PDX, you can see that he brings his clients outside because it is closer to springtime. I think it is springtime right now at the time of this recording. So, you know, if you want to get some fresh air, be on the sun, get some vitamin D, and also get a good workout in to show off for when summertime comes, because when summertime comes, you know that's tank top weather. So 
uh, yeah, check out vibestraining.com, get, get a good workout in, and then once you actually have the app, outside of the plethora of workouts, you'll have a community of other fitness enthusiasts that you can go to, to either A, celebrate the victories, or B, get your questions answered. And then also, they have a platform to where you can keep track of all your progress. I know for myself, back when I was going to the gym prior to COVID, I would have a notebook and also try and remember to do more. And uh, sometimes it is harder to push yourself to do more. So having Dylan there to help you, motivate you, and you know, just help you get to the better you that you're looking to get, it's crucial. It's, it's all the change in the world. So go to vibestraining.com, click on the blue button to sign up and get registered and become one of Dylan's clients and become Vibe Fit today. It means like, oh shit, Sergeant Island yelling at me, I'm really fucked up. Yeah. And we had this one kid that had an attitude problem and I was like, hey man, can I, uh, can I just talk to you over here in private real quick? He's like, yeah, sorry, sure. And I like, walked in and I, was, I used to chew tobacco like a lot. So I, I vaguely, put like yeah, I, ever, fresh, I vaguely remember that, yeah. This fresh chew in my front lip, so it'd get like the juices spraying, oh. and I got like our noses were touching, and I was screaming at him. <laughs> Completely caught him off guard, and he uh, he ended up like openly sobbing and going and talking to our platoon sergeant. Our platoon sergeant was our dry. Oh, it was he was a uh, he drove for our platoon sergeant, and we had this. Uh, his name was Sergeant Henry, like a great guy, loved him to death. And uh, he used to uh, tell people, like, I do the, I'll do the angry black man every once in a while. And he's like, you know, you got to do that because, like, there's so few of us in Idaho. So, you know, we, we kind of got a good laugh out of it. So he comes out in our, uh, in our big hall where we're all kind of hanging out before formation. He's like, who the fuck made my driver cry? And I turned around like, yo. He's like, that's some good shit. And then went back to it, like, turned around, looked at this kid. He was like, stop being a bitch, and then walked to his office, and we're all staring at him, and he started crying even harder, and I was like, dude, I don't know if this is the right fit for you, being in the military. It's no. a different beast. Okay, so in the movies, like you you mentioned that this is totally different from the movies. How is there a movie that you've seen? Because you and I, we were big movie buffs back in high school days. I'm not sure how much you are nowadays, because you are busy. Was there ever a movie that was like very close to what the actual military life is like that you've seen? Vince Vaughn in Hexar Ridge. Really? I will I will watch that shit. That just that basic training scene where he's fucking with everybody. It's my favorite scene. <laughs> it's so funny. And like I'll do stuff. Like I have, I have my buddy Ellis. He is like he's he you know straight shaves his head, and he's he's a bigger dude. And he just has like he has one of those demeanors that you just you feel like you shouldn't fuck with. Mm-hmm one of my best friends and uh we were uh we'll like sit there and we'll be like giving weapons classes on our mounted weapons and you know we'll have, we had this one time this private was going through and he's like and then we do this he's like oh okay he's like well or, or do you do this way he's like i don't know do you oh god well um he's like oh, you, you don't seem too confident maybe you're wrong he's like oh okay well I'll, then i'll do it this way he's like, well, i don't know maybe you were right the first time and then you're just kind of like well uh what the fuck or like we had a i had a brand new private my big pet peeve is uh the younger guys that just get peach fuzz on their face they still have to shave but they think they can get away with it so we had this new private show up to my unit and we were all doing our uh, annual medical evaluations we're all in our pt uniform so you don't have name or rank or anything displayed and i saw this kid looks like he's 12 years old he still does and he's like 22 or 23 now he's been in our unit for a few years but he had this long peach fuzz on his face so i just walked up 
and gripped and started ripping it out of his cheek. And he turned and squared up to me. He got this huge smile on my face. And one of my buddies uh, leaned over and goes, by the way, that's, um, that's a fucking sergeant. And then stepped back and this kid's face just goes completely. <laughs> he like put his hands behind his back and stood up straight. And I was like, not just any sergeant. I'm your sergeant. You're the new guy and you're in my unit. And uh, he was just like, uh, and then Ellis goes, no, he's not. He's not a sergeant. Don't listen to him. I was like, see, now you don't know what to believe. These kids started freaking out. So it was, it was pretty entertaining. When you got promoted to sergeant, were you just like, I can't wait to put these kids through hell? Or are you just like, I just can't wait to get these kids like to mess with them to a good degree, but also make sure that they're, you know, set off in the right direction into their military career? So I, uh, the army has something called the E4 mafia. So E4 is your enlisted rank. So E1, 2, 3, 4, I'm at E5. So just your first level sergeant and E4 is a specialist. And, uh, we had something called the, the E4 mafia. And essentially the sergeants would be doing their admin stuff or, you know, give the, uh, the basics for training, uh, for the day. And then the E4 mafia, Hey, you know, breaks in all the new guys. And so I was already pretty used to, to messing with people. My buddy in, in North Carolina, I used to just get hammered drunk, pound on some brand new private store at three o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. They wake up, you kind of do the, the face thing, you like move out of the way, you throw everything out of their kitchen and in their room. You're like, clean this shit up. Like, you know, I want it clean before, you know, morning formation. Then we just go back and pass out. And uh, one time we forgot that he was in there. And so he was still cleaning his room and we're at formation. We're like, what the fuck is the new guy? And then it clicked. We're like, oh, shit. <laughs> He's waiting for us to do his room inspection. <laughs> um, but no, when I got promoted, I, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, is what it felt like, at least. I'd only been uh, in reconnaissance for uh, like two, two and a half years. I felt pretty green and uh, there was a mistake of a promotion list. So I was number nine on the list for the state of Oregon. So I, you know, figured I had a long time and uh, the security clearance packets um, by one of our, we have a, somebody who processes everything. He fucked up and didn't turn them in. So I went from number nine to number one and he didn't tell anybody because he didn't want to get caught for his mistake. Um, so it was kind of a sink or swim situation for me. Um, my uh my platoon sergeant at the time he's like hey you're gonna be a vehicle commander i was like nope no i'm not <laughs> it's like <laughs> yes the fuck you are god damn it all right um so you know it's it was it was a situation like that i was like you know i gotta teach these guys as much as i can so i'll, I'll give basic classes throughout the day i'll randomly ask questions i'm like hey, hey you know why are you looking in that direction they're like well because you told me to i was like i understand i told you to i want you to tell me why am i having to do that so i i uh whenever i get a new guy like yeah i'll fuck with them but every once in a while like we have a newer guy who's 36 years old who's a you know a, a police officer for a long time you know he he's experienced nobody fucked with him because we didn't have to you know he's not some brand new kid who's you know first time out of his house but you know the younger guys is generally who we'll fuck with but i'm like hey I don't need anybody that just blindly follows orders. In fact, I, I will get rid of you so damn fast. If you do that, I'll make you somebody else's problem. If I have an idea and I give it to you guys and you think you have one better, speak up and tell me. That's all it takes. I want you to be, you know, adults. Because we've got some kids that we have got one guy. He's not in my platoon. He's in our, he's in our company. Overheard him saying he's 22 years old, married but he doesn't know any of his banking information because his mom still does all that for him. And I'm just like, what? 
dude. And like, I heard him say that and I like looked over and one of our higher sergeants like looked at me. She's like, shut the fuck up. I was like, keep my fucking mouth shut then. Um, but no, I, uh, I take it pretty seriously. You know, like I, my lower enlisted, they're, they're some of my best friends. One of them, I got lucky, uh, lives here in Moscow. So I get to hang out with him from time to time. But I, I had him for, I was in charge of him for three years. Wicked smart kid. Uh, love working with him. And he, uh, he's well on his way to getting promoted once we have some open slots. But I, you know, I love it. I love teaching. I don't ever want to be more than a staff sergeant because once you get to that sergeant first class, you're in charge of the platoon. Not, not only that, there's very, very few slots in the state. I think there's two and there's like 80 scouts. So um, chances of getting promoted are pretty low, but uh, no, it's all it's all the bureaucracy and the the shit rolls downhill. That's what the platoon sergeant and the platoon leader who's an officer blocks. Staff sergeant, you just kind of you get to stick with the guys and the gals because we opened up combat arms to uh, to women a couple of years ago. So we we just started getting some. We have our first brand new private who's female coming in. Um, she actually I think just got to our unit this month, but uh, I I don't report to them until September because I'm on yeah. these state yeah. orders. But yeah. I I love it. I love teaching. I love training. And, uh, and all that, I love scaring the shit out of people. We had a, <laughs> we had a grenade range one day and like the first time you handle a grenade, you're like, oh, okay, it's just a grenade. And then they'll put you in this bunker with all this bulletproof glass, you know, like a hundred meters away from the, where the grenades being thrown and basic training and they'll throw the live grenade and it blows up and you can hear the shrapnel hitting the glass in front of you. And then you're kind of like, oh fuck, that's got some punch to it. Like mm-hmm. it's just a little baseball size thing, but it weighs a couple pounds and once you use them a few times, you know, there's two safety pins and all that jazz. Well, if you're not in a combat job, you generally don't handle grenades very much. So we had uh, someone had ordered 900 hand grenades for a range for our entire battalion. That was going to be one, maybe two in some scenarios for everybody. Well, 300 people showed up for the range. So we were giving people like, all right, buckets. We were handing them all these hand grenades. Like, hey, you know, hold your arms like this. We were stacking hand grenades on them. You see them go ghost white. Now I was in this, you have this concrete bunker that you throw out of. And the moment you throw the grenade, you, you duck down. And I was one of the range safeties. And this kid was like holding the grenade, and like shaking his hands. I was like, hey, man, you're really building a lot of confidence um, in me right now. But it's just, you know, I, I, uh, I understand that there's a safety pin on the lever. So you're going to roll that off. And you're going to grab the ring. And you're going to twist and pull. Keep your thumb on the spoon. And then you're just going to throw the motherfucker. If you want to, you can drop it right on the other side of the wall. We'll be perfectly safe. He was like, okay, okay. I was like, that thing is, has a five meter kill radius, 15 meter wound radius. I was giving him all the information. I was like, it is completely and utterly safe while those pins are in it. I need you to take those pins out and throw it away from where we are. And just to be totally clear, if you drop it inside this bunker for whatever reason, I will attempt to save you. But if you resist me in any way, I will leave you to die in this concrete box. You would leave me? I was like, hey man, like brotherhood and uniform and all that. Like I, I totally get it. I will not die for you because you freeze up. I'll grab you. I'll pull you. If you resist, have fucking fun. It was great meeting you. Have a good day. I'm getting out of this fucking bunker. So he finally got the first pin off. He's like, oh. I was like, ooh, we're getting close. We're getting somewhere. <laughs> he got that second, that ring out. I was like, now just hug that motherfucker. But please do it in that direction. 
Because if you throw it the other way, a lot of people are going to get fucked up. So I throw it that way. He was like, okay, okay. So he finally threw it, and he was just standing there, like, you know, head above the concrete and everything. So I reached up, and you have, like, a little uh, pad in the back of your helmet. I grabbed it and just yanked him straight back, and he fell over, and the grenade went off. And I was holding his extra one, and I was standing there. I was like, see, not so bad, right? He's like, yeah, that wasn't bad at all. I was like, yeah, you know, builds confidence that the safety equipment works. He threw it. He's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, shit. And I dropped the grenade. And he like jumped and ran into the, you know, the concrete wall. And I was like, I just fucking ran the pins were there. You're totally fine. And then I was not allowed to be a range safety anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> How was this developing process for you to kind of develop your own leadership style? I had a lot of different leadership coming into the military. Um, uh, one of my, I still, I haven't talked to, I was for a long time keeping in touch with one of my drill sergeants. I mean, they used to call me face. Cause I was a smart ass to him, like our second day of basic training. So he used to take Sharpies and draw different faces on my face. And he was like, I can't change your ugly fucking face, but I can, I can try. He did that for like every day for four weeks. Um, but uh, he was, he was kind of joking about it. And then my first team leader, who was a sergeant, uh, once I got to the 82nd, I met her once I landed in country. She was a hard motherfucker. She is a badass. Like this is a woman who jumped out of a plane when there was 20 knots of wind on the ground, which is absolutely sometimes you don't jump. There was a, a malfunction with the, with the lights on the door, so it turned green. And uh, a few people got out of each side of the plane before the jump master were able to stop them. And she landed and tore all the ligaments in her hips and didn't know. So she was still running. She was still ruck marching with like a 60 or 70 pound pack. Like she's a hard son of a bitch. And uh, so her leadership style, like she was pretty hardcore. Uh, for the first year or so that she was in charge of me, um, I had a, a staff sergeant here in Idaho, really nice guy. He was a, he was in the Marines for eight years, uh, got out for like five years, and then it was like, you know, I miss teaching soldiers, you know, I miss teaching the younger guys. So that's when he joined the uh, National Guard here in Idaho. He was a great mentor, um, but I just kind of I saw what worked for me personally. And I've gotten uh, good at kind of reading people, you know, after the first uh, couple of times of, of seeing these guys, after the first couple of times of seeing these, you can kind of pick up on what does and doesn't work for them. It's all about reading people. You know, you got to know what, what works for one guy or gal is not going to work for another and kind of knowing who works best with who. So I was able to, when I was, so I was a section sergeant or a, a squad leader um my uh i had picked two team leaders and i was like hey this guy's got this personality this guy's got this personality these younger privates have similar ones so i'm going to put those guys together so they can you know teach mm -hmm. and then i would swap them i'm like hey so now that you know how to teach people like you teach somebody like someone else and kind of get a broader range but it's all it's all trial and error that's, that's yeah. really what it is yeah because you know it's it, that's awesome that's completely awesome that you're able to like get this new kind of like leadership style adapted to what's best for you then hopefully you know adapted to what's best for this next person what about when you know you tried to i'm trying to think like you know you're you're helping a soldier become you know get the training get the, all this you know the basics down and then do you ever like feel bad when sometimes you try to use your smart aleckness or your uh you know other kind of teaching styles and it just fails and you just see them struggle how do you how do you feel when you see one of your own unit members struggle because maybe your leadership wasn't just working for them uh i got i mean we got 
let's see, we got eight, we call them non-commissioned officers is what a sergeant is. We have eight non-commissioned officers in my platoon. Everybody's got a different leadership style. So if something I'm doing is not working, we can always shift them over to someone else. Okay. And try it from there. We had uh, one kid who just, you know, he was falling asleep on guard duty. I don't take that very lightly. That's uh, that's something that can get 30 people killed. Um, so I uh, I nip that in the ass as fast and aggressively as humanly possible. Um, but he was falling asleep on guard duty. He just, you know, he, he didn't want to be in the field. Kind of felt like he was an outcast and all that stuff. And I was like, hey, man, we're going to have a heart-to-heart talk to me what, what's going on what, what's bugging you what can I do differently what can anyone do differently and uh it's like I'm at the point where I want to bar you from real enlistment so you can't stay in the military because I just I personally feel like this is not the lifestyle for you you know we had a, a long talk with him and um I was like it's not that you're bad at this job so don't think that I'm I'm giving you shit but maybe there's a different job out there for you Okay. Uh, so I suggested like a softer skill, like mechanic work, uh, logistics or supply, you know, something in admin because he's organized. He can, you know, he's, he can do all that, but uh, he ended up choosing combat engineers, which uh, are dudes that deal with explosives and takes, you know, a little bit of focus. And I was like, Hey man, teach their own. Yeah. Do your thing. Like <laughs> not my problem anymore. We had, we had a lot of issues okay. with for a long time so it just kind of depends um okay. but there are some cases you know some guys they'll they'll get in thinking it'll be one way and they hate it and i personally i don't want to go to a combat zone with someone who genuinely does not want to be there that's mm-hmm. that's a kind of a recipe for disaster so there are ways to get out of the military um it's uh and it's it's not frowned upon by any means you know some people just aren't cut out for it and that's okay I think that's what a lot of guys that come through basic and they're like, Oh my God, like I hate this, but like, I don't, I don't want everyone to hate me or think less of me. And that's just, that's not how it is. Um, as long as you're not an asshole, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate with the guys I serve with. We're all pretty understanding people. And, uh, so if we do run into a guy like that, we had one that we ended up, uh, um, discharging with, uh, under medical reasons and, uh, stuff like that. So, it's not frowned upon. I know a lot of people think it is, but it's usually just the younger guys. Like, hey, I, I want you to want to be here. Like, I want to be here. I love my field time. I love my training. If you don't love it, then this isn't for you, and that's okay. So it just kind of, like I said, varies on the person. Um, but, you know, it's not for everyone. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome, too, because granted, the only experience I have with the military is my aunt, for example. And then with movies all i see is just you know they get yelled at if they aren't if they aren't succeeding you know to know that you know there is an easy way to like find a new avenue if this is not the right military path for you that's yeah uh, that's gonna make it less intimidating to be a part of the military yeah because you know that passion to like want to help your country is awesome but there's other ways you can channel that if this path you originally thought of is not great but it can yeah. be applied to life, really. Oh, yeah. And it's like, and oh. that's like one thing a lot of people ask, you know, like, you know, politics are nuts right now. They have been for a while. And I've had a ton of people ask me, like, how, how can you continue to serve the government? And I was like, whoa, whoa. I serve <laughs> my country and I serve my people. You can love your flag and not like the people in charge. And that's perfectly okay. Um, 
I was at, I was talking to, we have a lot of college students will drive like the golf carts we have available for the elderly to, you know, transport them up to the vaccine clinic from the parking lot. And I was like, my oath is to the constitution and the people of the United States. And I take that very seriously. That's what I believe in. I was like, there's one politician I report to, and that is the commander in chief, the president. That's it. I don't care who's in charge. He's the boss. And, you know, that's, that's as simple as it, as it is. And no matter who it is, I don't care what their their political leanings are or anything like that. If they're telling me to do, do something that I feel is morally wrong, I have an obligation to deny those orders. So, um, yeah, that's part of the oath that you take when you initially enlist. And every time you re-enlist, you restate the oath that you start with. And so we've got a ton of guys that feel the same way. Yeah. And then did you keep track of any of the political stuff that went on? I sort of did. Because I figured might as well now versus you know never. So it it was a little overwhelming for me, but for you to be like also part of the military, part of that whole sector of the government, what what were your thoughts on basically how the election went down and everything else? Um, I think it's absolutely batshit bonkers right now. But uh, <laughs> I mean, so was the last election. Um, I uh, I try to pay attention to some of that because it in a lot of cases directly affects trying to figure out exactly like, like let's say the voting for example it's like i was trying to figure out okay if i vote for this this will happen but wait what what if because there's like so many other things to factor in when it comes to like oh, yeah. politics and all, everything else so i i understand your your, your allergy to that because i i believe i feel that the same way too right. yeah right here brother i right. just I, uh, I just want people to have their freedom of choice
individuals, especially the situation they've been in, or you know what their what their life like, what kind of life they have. Like it's just you know they're going to be a better judge of what they should do than you know somebody on the complete opposite side of the country. Like why would my vote count for somebody in Pennsylvania or Rhode Island or New York? It just doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah, I major decisions and as long as you're not doing anything wildly illegal like uh robbing banks or or anything like that i mean you know the world's oyster just you know accept people for who they are after a brief intermission due to technical difficulties we're, we're back we're back yeah. uh so yeah the believe the last thing i heard you say was that you don't want people to uh you, you don't want to force your opinions on people because it's like exactly. you, you yeah. should just be able to make up your own decisions because you're adults. Yeah. And so like my big thing was, you know, when I, when I enlisted, you know, they pretty much give you everything, you know, your uniforms, your, your living situation, they tell you what to do all the time. And I feel like there were two things that were truly mine in my opinion and my name. And so, you know, I, I kind of, built this mentality that you know like people's opinions is there is there one true freedom in life like no one can take your opinion away from you and so i i just i don't know i just i never felt like i should be making decisions for people that have absolutely no effect in, in my personal life or anything like that mm-hmm. i know it's it, it, it's like i see someone down the street and then for for me when you know with covid the masks because i see some people like you know just have it under their nose or just like on their chin it's like yeah i i want to say something but i'm not like on the same size street as they are so it's like also maybe they're more down the street and i'm heading opposite direction so it's like i should say something but it's also like i I don't really feel the need to push my opinion on someone who's not even gonna infect my life at all yeah and it's like well like i I didn't really care for the mask, but I always wore it in pub when I was going out in public and stuff like that. Cause just cause I, uh, you know, just cause I had my own idea. I was like, I don't know if it's that dangerous cause when it all first started. Um, I was like, I don't know if this is that dangerous, you know, like both sides of the media have been blowing a lot of things out of proportion lately. How seriously should I take this? But I mean, regardless, I still wore one when I went out because you know, a lot, of, I know a lot of people were scared and that's, that's yeah. perfectly normal. I didn't want to add to that fear. I was like, hey, you know, it's it is absolutely zero inconvenience to me to put something over my face. If anything, it just hides my ugly mug. So it's a win win <laughs> for everybody. But um, no, I saw a lot of like videos of people marching through like big stores with no mask on, like, take your mask off. It's the oppression of freedom. And I was like, dude, if you think wearing a mask, it's an oppression of freedom. <laughs> you got the what's going on with your life? <laughs> One of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. It's not rocket science, you know, just wear it, you know, have some common courtesy for your fellow man. Yeah. And like, so I, I'm, I'm dating someone now, but when I was single and during COVID, the mask had a little bit of mystery, you know, I yeah, see a yeah. woman, it's like, I just see the eyes up. I'm like, what's going on under there? What's, uh, how do you, how does this look? Do you even have a mouth? Do you have a face? What's going on? But, you know, it was always a nice little surprise when like, you know, you're sitting for dinner and then they take it off. You're like, oh. Oh, that's what you look like. Okay. There was a, I got a captain that's kind of running things in this particular district and I've only ever seen him with a mask on. Cause he, you know, kind of come in and check in on clinics. And uh, someone told me he's got like a, a crazy, awesome, like Tom Selleck mustache. And I'm just like, <laughs> sir, can, can you just, just like a little bit? He's like, 
no, I like mystery. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> I'm so curious. I got it. I got to see his mustache, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, Oh, okay. I'll pay you. I will pay you. This could be the new form. <laughs> this could be a form, new form of a strip club. There you go. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, Take your mask off, but do, but do it slowly. Slowly. You know? slowly. There's oh, a yeah. whole lot of real estate to cover. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> How's your family been by the way? Like we didn't, we didn't talk about that prior to the recording. Ah, uh, they're good. Uh, my mom, uh, retired for about eight minutes and then uh, got a part-time job as uh, I think she is doing some lobbying for a, a firm in Portland. Oh, wow. uh, my, my dad is. Community Chats is proudly sponsored by Covey Hard Yerba Mate. Josh Mackler is a good friend and former guest of the show. And when he had his episode, we talked a little bit afterwards and he was so generous to send me a case of his products just a sample and i gotta say i still to this day enjoy the berry flavor just because of my preference towards a little tarty a little citrusy and it hit all those favorite flavors and just also made me feel not so heavy after drinking it which is very key because as spring is approaching which also means summer is approaching which means nice weather tank top weather don't want to feel too thick in the midsection area. So Josh's Hard Yerba Mate is the perfect thing to go, perfect drink to go to. Uh, if you'd like to get a little loosened up, maybe you're at the river with some friends and uh, you're kind of tired of those other seltzers, hard seltzers, you're like, I'm okay, I want to try something different. This is the product for you. So if you'd like to try some of Josh's Hard Yerba Mate, go to hardyerbamate.com. H-A-R-D-Y-E-R-B-A-M-A-T-E.com. And then click around, look at some of his products. He has either A, a variety pack, or B, individual drink, individual flavor packs. So once you're done, use the discount code KeoniChatsCove. That's K-E-O-N-I-C-H-A-T-S-K-O-V-E for 25% off your total purchase. That's huge. Because 25% off, that can be like 5 to $6, depending on what you get. When I asked, when Josh mentioned this, and then he told me like, hey, here's a discount code. I honestly did think it was like something 10 to 15% range, because that seems fair. But when he said 25% off, I was like, wow, that's awesome. That's super kind, super generous. So everyone check out Kove Hard Yerba Mate. You must be 21 and over to purchase any alcohol from Kove. And everyone, please enjoy responsibly. fully retired and living large he uh he had a condo in downtown portland for a long time and he and his girlfriend just sold that i don't know if you remember uh dana I, we in high school. short shorter gal i think i just met her once because i remember going to your dad's house like once but i was more at your mom's house yeah, yeah. um but uh no they uh they have a house somewhere in beaverton um emily is living in seattle with her boyfriend i got to see them for thanksgiving uh, she's working for Amazon and then my brother, uh, got married like a year after I got back from active duty, just like 2015 or 16. Um, and, uh, he's got two kids. He's working for Nike. So I got those sweet discounts. Yeah, um, there you go. Uh, usually I uh, make a trip or two to the employee store when I'm in town. Plus um, you get the military discount too, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty awesome. <laughs> Um, but now they're, they're doing pretty good. Uh, my dad does a lot of fishing, bike riding, 
and uh, my mom uh, got a house across the street from my brother and my sister-in-law, so she plays Nana pretty of regularly. Of course, of course you would. Of course you would. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, to help my brother and my sister-in-law out because they're still, you know, they're working, or I don't know if they still are, but, uh, you know, they were working from home and, you know, daycares were closed down, so trying to do your job and manage a three-week-old and a three-year-old is uh, kind of a pain in the ass from what I've been told. So um, my mom used to take him for a few hours and spend time with him. She's loving it. So mm. she gets to, she's like, uh, she's not like firm, she's not too firm with him or anything like that. Like, How can you spoil the shit out of them? You were a hard ass on me. She's like, because they're not mine and grandmas are supposed to spoil their grandchildren. I'm like, All right, you got me there. So yeah, I remember, um, that's what my mom would always say. She's like, when you have kids, I'm just going to spoil them and give them back to you. And plus we're going to live on the same street together. I was like, ah, no. <laughs> well, that sounds like a living hell. Thank you for the offer though. <laughs> it's like, I love you to death because you gave me life, but it's like, I, I need my space. I need, yeah. I need to be able to grow on my own. But oh, yeah. uh, so for you being the, the child of a divorced parents, uh, what was that like? What was that child like? I just remember like a few times where you were not the happiest man to be around. And <laughs> just because of the, you know, just jumping back and forth, maybe some arguments between parents. What would you say? How was that growing up with that? Cause I'm, I'm a, I'm a kid of separate parents. So it's yeah. not as finalized as you and your, your families, but how was that growing up? You know, when I was younger, I barely understood what the hell was going on. So I was like, all right, we got two houses. That's totally normal, I guess. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until I got to kind of like middle school is when I kind of started like understanding what was going on. Um, but now, I mean, both my parents, they got different parenting styles. Um, my dad was huge on sports. So, you know, whenever I was at my dad's house where I was practicing lacrosse, he didn't really know like anything about wrestling. So yeah, <clears throat> that wasn't a huge thing for him. But lacrosse and soccer with my brother and sister, he was pretty adamant about those and making sure all our homework was done, stuff like that. Uh, he took us to Bend a lot. And then my mom, um, you know, she was working a shit ton because she's a workaholic but uh she you know she wanted to spend the majority of her time with uh, my brother's sister and i uh so we got to go on a few trips out of the country went to europe for a spring break one year got to see italy and corsica both awesome um but you know in high school was different you know my sister and i didn't have the best relationship we were always always fighting way more than siblings definitely should i remember that um, too i remember that and too. uh you know, there were times, you know, like you, you tell yourself when you're younger, you know, my dad was just trying to keep the peace. And so is my mom. And of course, you know, if they even take someone else's side for a split second, they're now you're, they're your enemies too. So there was, you know, there was some arguing for a little while, but uh, I think I was just tired. I used to go back and forth every week between houses and then we moved it to every two weeks. Um, and then like my junior year of high school, I just lived with my dad and I, you know, grabbed dinner or lunch with my mom uh, a few times a week and spent some time with her on the weekends. And then senior year, I flipped it. I spent the majority of the time at my mom's house, saw my dad for lunch and weekends and stuff like that. So once, uh, once I kind of fully understood what was going on and, you know, realized what they were trying to do, trying to help, you know, be parents, it's uh, never easy from what I've been told. <laughs> um, it was, uh, once I understood it, it, it got a lot easier. So. Yeah, and your your brother is a parent. So did he? Oh yeah. Have you and him talked about like the whole your guys' childhood and be like, okay, I kind of I kind of get how mom was on this thing. I kind of get how dad was on this thing. But 
you know, just want to make sure you're their own person? Not a ton. I mean, Eddie's almost eight years older than I am. So, you know, he was in college when I was in middle school, so he wasn't around a ton. Um, we, uh, we didn't really have much of a relationship for a while. And then when I, you know, told my family, I, I was like, Hey, so uh, I did something today. I, I enlisted in the army and I was like, what? Like, yep. That was, uh, talked about it. Like, well, we thought you were just, you know, thinking about, it. I was like, nah, that was, that's what I want to do. So, um, brother started talking to me more and, uh, I tell you, you know, he and my sister and my dad, mom and all that, they would write me letters when I was deployed. Uh, kind of keep me up on things and you know my brother and I didn't have a ton in common um, different personalities I guess but uh, <clears throat> he's like super handy with his hands he's building all this stuff with wood it's it's awesome like he's really good at it and he is a hell of a lot smarter than I am <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, now once my nephew uh, once they you know my brother and his wife found out they were pregnant started spending a lot more time with them, uh, hanging out with my nephew as much as possible. I probably video chat with my brother and my nephew uh, about once once a month, once every other month. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd definitely say our relationship's gotten a lot better. Um, I know a lot more about him. <clears throat> he's bad. He's uh, fighting out of his weight class with his wife. She is like a spectacular person and whole family loves her. Um, but uh yeah, we didn't really, I don't know, like even my, my sister and I, we don't really talk about the whole divorce thing. It was just, you know, it happened when I was like four or five years old. So it was mm-hmm. just kind of a part of my entire upbringing. So it didn't seem out of place because mm-hmm. I just kind of got used to it. Um, but I mean, I'm sure if it happened later, I know it was a lot harder on my brother because he fully understood what was going on and uh, and all that jazz. But never, I guess I never really asked him about it. Yeah, it's... You know, having that kind of family split was hard for, you know, I saw it harder on you and to just hear what you just said, you know, it's, I can, I can feel it. I can see it. I can imagine it because, you know, I had to face that to some degree. It was just me. My brother was already in college. And then I just remember my mom and dad having an argument about where I'm going to stay, basically deciding for me, like, you know, my dad stayed in the, the Beaverton house that you went to a few times. My mom moved to Hillsborough. They're like, he's going to stay with me. He's going to stay with me. And I was just like, I'm just going to walk out. I'm going to go to the park. I just don't want to yeah. be. It's just. And then now, now to this day where like, you know, we're, we're approaching 30 where like, hey, that's insane to say. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? My girlfriend, uh, my girlfriend's turning 25 soon. And mm. she uh, like all starts standing. I have like no cartilage in my knees. A really bad knees from being a paratrooper and, and all the rucking and running and all that stuff um so like i'll stand up and i do like that old man groan was like Ugh. you know like that that grunt and she's like i, I do that well, too i do that too walker? i'm like no i fuck you man that's rude I'm not that old no she's yeah like, your airline would say differently i'm like all right sweet i'm gonna sleep on the couch <laughs> yeah it i mean it's you know, we're, we're getting closer to 30. And then also like, we're getting to that point where like, we, you know, marriage is starting to become a realistic conversation. Cause when we had that conversation, we were like 18, 19, 20, that's like, Oh, that's been like 20 years or so. But it's like, that's something that's, you know, potentially on the horizon for us. And to see how our families handled it, it for me, at least I'm just like, I'm, I want to make sure that I'm better. My girlfriend, I met during court, like right before everything shut down, um we uh we met and hung out for a few hours and then 
<clears throat> ended up uh she came over i think it was like our second or third date i had walking dead on and she's like oh my god i love this show i was like i just restarted it so that was like our whole relationship was just mm-hmm. binge watching walking dead and uh like we'd be sitting there and she looked at me she's like you know once this show is over it's like am i even gonna want to see you again i was like i don't know right you know it's like what's the point once the show's done it's done yeah. um it was like our running joke for a while and we're like all right you know like we finished that last episode she's like all right well it was nice meeting you and just like left i'm like you know <laughs> <laughs> um, we hung out a lot over the summer and uh and stuff like that but like when i first went back to work because i'm a federal technician so technically i'm a civilian but in order to save money we just wear our uniforms to work instead of having a like a uh uh coverall contract mm-hmm. and uh so my first day going back to work, I took, we had a beard competition. So like I took a picture and then I had to shave and I sent her a picture. She's like, I don't even fucking recognize you. Yeah. And my friend Becky had only seen me with facial hair. Uh, Cause she was uh, roommates with one of my other friends. So I, and she had just gotten out of the, she had traveled for a year after getting out of the Navy. And uh, so I was hanging out and she saw, she's like, you're not allowed in our house with that weak ass chin. Like put some fucking stubble on there and then we can <laughs> be friends again. I was like, you guys are assholes. <laughs> Uh, the first time I really grew my beard out thickly, uh, it, someone said I look like Kimbo Slice because I also had like kind of close buzz cut hair. I think it was like maybe uh, maybe junior year of college or something like that. And I was like, okay, all right, cool. And then I've had a few stints with some girlfriends that are like, you know, the, my current one right now, she loves the beard. So it's like, okay. But it's like, I want to yeah. make sure it's kept. It doesn't like get all wild and untamed. Oh, yeah. I'll you know, do the trimmer, shave the neck and all that. <clears throat> I, the first time I tried growing a beard was when I was coming back from active duty. You know, I had a couple of weeks before I, I started working for Goodyear and I had the most disgusting looking beard. It was like all patchy, but it was like just <laughs> along my jawline. Nothing yeah. came in on my cheeks. And I was like, yeah, I had facial hair. And then like, I really looked at myself in the mirror. I was like, Oh God, that is, that not... is disgusting. This is oh. nope. Mm-hmm. nope. Shave that shit right off. Uh, I did see that one of our mutual friends, you got to spend time with Jake Werner. Uh, he, mm-hmm. That time you saw him, uh, there's a photo on your guys on your Instagram. Uh, holy mo, like holy Jehovah's Witness. Oh yeah, he's that's, got, a, that's a beard. He and, his, he and his brother Max, they both got pretty awesome beards. Yeah, I uh, I'm actually hoping to go see him again in uh, October or November uh, when my orders are done. But I saw them like right before Thanksgiving last last year. It was like a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. I hadn't seen them in five years. I used to, when they were, they live in D.C. or Maryland. Uh, they were living in D.C. They live in Maryland. And uh, when I was in North Carolina, I used to drive up and see my granddad because he lived in Alexandria. And so I'd go and see, you know, the Werner family and all that, catch up with them. And then, you know, when I came back to the West Coast, I was a broke college student for a little while. And uh, I also spent whatever money I did have on partying. Because there was a, you know, you know, bleachers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like right off of Cornell and uh, Saltzman. Oh right yeah, right? okay, yeah, yeah. I lived in those apartments right across the street, so that oh, was like the only bar I went to because I could stumble home and not have to worry about paying for an Uber. So that's that, like where I spent all my time. That's numerous a, times. That's a pretty good reason to like move extra bar and just right, the- yeah. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I was just kind of, you know, partying, having fun. I, I, you know, I, when I enlisted, I was 18, turned 21 uh, in the army. And we were all, we used to do uh, something called global response force. So 
whenever, so one unit in North Carolina, it's uh, the part of the 82nd Airborne, you had four brigades of several thousand people in each, and you all took turns doing GRF. And uh, so essentially, if anything hit, if shit hit the fan anywhere in the world, we used to do all these drills where you'd be mobilized on a plane, ready to go in 18 hours. And there was an incident in the Gaza Strip when Jake was stationed there because he was in the Israeli army for a few years. Mm-hmm. And he was stationed in Gaza and there was a massive mi- missile strike. And all kinds of stuff was going on. One of my buddies like, you know, bolted through my barracks room door and he's like, yo, dude, we're going to fucking war. And I was like, yeah when and where i need more details <laughs> and, uh, so we were all sitting there we had all our phones confiscated no internet you just kind of we just waited to see if we we're going to jump into israel and, and help the israelites there and uh you know everything was over in about 10 days so we didn't end up going but jake and i talked and how he was just like dude how fucking nuts would it have been if you know we got to fight together in different countries like, that would have been insane you know oh, dude <laughs> Yeah, but no, he uh, he's a bad. He was a badass. He was a Israeli commando for a couple of years. So really, oh yeah, he did. Some, he was pretty hardcore. I was trying to get him on the show, but he uh, he declined. So, but you know, he was gracious. He was like, oh, he's. I think he was just a little camera shy. But I was like, you know, that, that's fine. But it's just like, it, it part of my mission with this is not just like to get your story out on you know the, the, everywhere, but it's also like I want to catch up with you. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, like Jake, it would have been like a part uh, catching up moments with Jake Warner and I. Anyway. Yeah, Jake is doing uh, cybersecurity work. Um, so he's got a lot of secret clearances, so he uh, mm. can't talk about what he does. So that's <laughs> uh, pretty much all I know is he does computer stuff. And I was like, all right, that's all I need to know. So that's like, that's the extent that he can talk about it pretty much. Like when you think about our guy high school days, because you know you were there for freshman sophomore, and then was it junior where you transferred to Westview, or is it senior? Uh, like the very start of senior year as well. Very start of senior. So we we shared three years together in high school. Did you ever think like, I could see this person doing that. I could see that person doing that. For Jake, I'm just like, I computers. I more saw him as like uh you know the face you know out there in public talking to people. I never saw more of like that that computer was. I saw him as a soldier. That's like all he and I ever talked about when we hung out. Um, <laughs> the army used to do something called the buddy program. So you could enlist together and then you go to all the same bases for basic training, you know, your job school and, and all that other stuff. And you'd end up in the same unit. Um, it was like a, a recruitment tactic, trying to get more and more people to enlist. Cause we were, you know, our military was pretty shorthanded for a long time. And, uh, you know, we had talked about it, but he, uh, he stayed back, helped out his family and all that. And I was like, well, no, I, I still want to do this. So, uh, I actually lived with the Warners for a few months over the summer before I went to basic training, uh, Jake, Max and I like shared one room. So we had one of those trundle beds. So Jake was on like the, the bed and then the Max was on the trundle. And then we had like this tempur mattress on the floor. And so we would just sit there, play video games. You know, they, uh, Jake took me to the gym one time. I wanted to cry because that dude is an absolute animal of a human being. Still? Still um, is? Oh, yeah. He's, okay. he's not small. <laughs> I didn't think so. I didn't think um, so. <laughs> but uh, he and Max are pretty uh, pretty avid gym goers. And I uh, I stopped for a little while. But uh, I'm up to about 200 pounds right now. So. Wow, dude. Yeah. yeah. That's all, it's all on my ass. I can't see it. But uh no, I started hitting the gym pretty good. They have a really nice gym at the rec center here on campus. So I get to use that. And, uh, and I, I go there and like, you know, I got like a little bit of like the beer stomach, right? 
So I've been working that off. I eat a lot healthier. I cook all my own food and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I was, I'm used to going to this small farm town gym, you know, where I live. Cause I live in Cuna, Idaho. It's a, a farm town outside of Boise, about okay. 30, yeah. 45 minutes. And, uh, it's just like this big warehouse with some gym equipment and that's where I go to work out. So a lot of people that are in there are like farmers, high school kids, that sort of thing. Well, like I go to the gym in the morning here before I go do the clinics or work at the hospital and you got all the athletes that are there. These dudes have like 1% body fat. They're all cut as shit. And I'm like, and I like called Tori, uh, my girlfriend one day. I was like, Hey, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to go to the rec center with me. Like ever. Yeah. She's like, I was like, cause you will leave my bald fat ass in like five minutes. And for one of these dudes that are like, have a 14 pack and a bicep the size of my head, like it's not happening. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm a little out of place there. Um, I, uh, but, uh, no, it's it's a nice gym. So, yeah, and yeah, you know, so that makes me kind of think of. So I do have a little bit of uh, I think body dysmorphia where I think like okay, I'm doing fine because like I have some a barbell I could use. Like I was using during uh, COVID or just like I have a gym membership, but when it was like raining out because you know I don't remember Portland rains a lot, um, mm-hmm. and I don't want to go for a run outside. It's like okay, I could do this. I could do a lot of curls. Great. But I still don't feel like I'm big enough. I still don't feel like I'm strong enough. Now, you know, just think about that joke you just made. Your your insecurities, how because a lot of those things I feel like you can make them into jokes and you kind of laugh it off because Oh yeah, that's literally my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do they, do they never affect you like on a deeper level or is that just, no, you, no? I mean, I don't think so. Like I'll make jokes about it, but like, I know I'm in shape. I know I'm stronger than most of our privates who are like 120 pounds soaking wet. And, uh, like I, you know, I, I try to stay fit. Um, like we had, uh, I went and grabbed lunch. We have some of the, some college students volunteer at the front desk for our clinics. And so me and the, some of the national guard guys and some of those girls went and got lunch the other day. And they were hopping in my truck and I was like, Hey, can you move my body armor? She was looking around. She goes, what? You don't have any body armor back here. I was like, no, the, the vest right there. She goes, Oh, I thought you were talking about the sports. Drink. I was like, no. And she picked it up. And she's like, Jesus Christ, what's in this? I was like, steel plates. She's like, how much does this weigh? I was like, I don't know, like 25 pounds. She goes, this is what you wear. I was like, well, no, you also got to add seven magazines of ammo, usually a radio, a uh, pack of water. And then you got your rucksack and your helmet. And she was just like, you just carry that around like yeah and if someone gets shot you have to wear all that and drag a motherfucker so uh that's a super exciting training event where you're just dragging dudes i had this buddy in my unit in oregon we called him ogre because he is just the biggest son of a bit he's a corrections officer uh for a maximum security federal penitentiary in washington mm-hmm. and uh he used to, he had like the crazy eyes like it looked like his eyeballs were popping out of his head when he'd stare at you He's just, he's a huge guy. There's a picture of, of him uh, and I together on, somewhere on Instagram. And it's just, I look like Slender Man standing next to this guy. He's huge. And we uh, are training exercise dudes. He would throw all his body armor on and he was like, all right, drag me. This was all like 150, 160 pounds. So if you incorporate all your body armor, your rucksack and your ammo, I'm around 210 to 220. Mm-hmm. Then you got him who's 230 naturally. And then he's got 50, 60 pounds of body armor and shit on. And you got to drag this. I'm like, bro, you're, you're just going to fucking die. Like, I'm sorry. I think it's not the whole <laughs> to carry your ass. And... You're like, let me go get this. Uh, let me go get a forklift. And then we're good. Let's just, yeah. we're good. 
there, there was a while where I was really feeling myself. I, uh, I used to do military funeral honors when I was in Oregon and did dozens and dozens of funeral services just in a few month period. And I don't know if you ever watched the movie uh, Band of Brothers, the movie I, series. I know of it. Yeah, yeah. So one of the, you know, that was all based on the, the 501st Easy Company from during World War II. And one of those guys from, was from Astoria, Oregon. And when he passed away, I got to do his funeral service. And that was like a huge thing for me because, you know, watching that TV show, I was like, I want to be a paratrooper. Those guys seem badass uh, before I had enlisted. So I got to do his funeral service and it was, it was great. Like sad. Yes. But you know, it was, it was felt pretty rewarding to do that. But you know, some of those, I was on a traveling team. So we had like the whole Northwestern quadrant of Oregon. So I, you know, go around usually on the whole, my portion of the ceremony would only be about 15 minutes uh, for the flagpole. And, and if we had the manpower for it, that was the, the big struggle we had. We, there was, you know, a lot of the, the World War II, Korea, Vietnam vets, those guys are all, you know, those men and women are starting to pass away. They're getting older. And uh, so we were pretty busy um, for a while there. So we didn't get to do the full 21 gun salute and all of that. We did it as often as we could. Um, but uh, I had all this extra time. Like, and I wasn't in school. Uh, I, you know, I was taking a, a couple of months off and I was doing these funerals. I a hundred percent could not make in the military. So I applaud you, sir, for making it <laughs> 10 plus years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nine and a half more years. So I can retire. It's going to hit my 20. So is that your uh, long-term plan with uh, your military life? I plan on staying in until they tell me I'm too broken and crippled to stay in anymore. So well, the, knee, the, knees, got, uh, the knees are getting there. So <laughs> yeah, knees are bad. I had my right foot reconstructed. So I have like 60% feeling in my foot, uh, broken all of my fingers at least once, mostly twice, uh, broken, my fra broken fracture, my wrist dislocated both my shoulders accumulatively about a hundred times. So the, because the ligaments got super stretched out. So if I don't do shoulder exercises, my sock, my joints just fall out of the socket. Uh, two TBIs. Uh, one was from hitting my head on that door frame. Yep. yep. And uh, hips are starting to go bad. My uh, lower back is slightly like compressed a bit uh, from just from all the the weight. Because like you're when you jump do a combat jump uh, for training, you have uh, like a 60 to 80 pound parachute, and then you usually have about 80 pounds in your rucksack, and then you throw all that on a harness and strap it to yourself, and then you got your weapon, and then you know you're like penguin waddling around and look right quickly exit the plane. I'm like, fucking how, man? How the hell? <laughs> I will quickly get I can there. move my feet four inches at a time. So I'll get there when I get there. <laughs> yeah, so you'll just see a bunch of dudes doing this whole waddle. You just kind of see them do this. <laughs> <laughs> going up to going up to the door on the plane uh so that kind of messed up my lower back but uh, uh now my friend becky uh she had a, a pretty bad training accident when she was in the navy she has a lot of internal damage in her in her body and she found that yoga was like a huge thing that helped her so she when she traveled she traveled all over asia for about a year and did a bunch of schools and stuff like that in Bali. And uh, I can't remember where else, but she got certified to be a yoga instructor. She finally convinced me to do it. She's like, this is called, you know, like yen yoga. It's all stretching. And I was like, holy shit, it's like the best I felt in God knows how long. And then the next time she gave me a class, she was like, all right, this is more like exercise yoga. 
and I was shaking like a leaf the entire time. And Becky's like five foot three, and, like 115 pounds. And she's like, man, you're shaking like a bitch. I thought you were supposed to be a soldier. I was like, you're such an asshole. You're so aggressive for a yoga teacher. <laughs> but, uh, she has a studio in, in CUNA, the only one in CUNA. And uh, I was going to start going and then I got offered these state orders. So they moved me up north. But my girlfriend started going. She's like, I'm going to Becky's like hot, intense yoga thing. I don't know. And she called me afterwards. She was like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> I need to use the bike in the garage way more often. Cause I have like a little gym set up in my garage with, you know, dumbbell, like adjustable dumbbells, a uh, bench and some other stuff. But you, you have something to use. You have something to use when you have some downtime. Not oh, like yeah. to get a full on workout in, but yeah, my, uh, my, uh, so my mom, dad, brother, and sister all have one of those Peloton bikes. Oh yeah. yeah. And so they're always competing with each other. And they're like, you should get one. I was like, yeah, no, totally. And so I looked up how much some of those things were. And they're like $2,500. I was like, dude, my motorcycle was $2,500. Like, <laughs> and that actually moves. And yeah. I don't have to die when I'm using it. But when I was in Seattle for Thanksgiving, uh, we, uh, we did our first family workout for the holidays. And I was telling Tori about it. And she was like, oh, God, are you one of those families? It was like, first time in 28 years uh, that we've ever done something like this um and then i found there was a peloton app so i just have my like regular stationary bike that was not even close to 2500 bucks and then i can still do the bike exercises on the tv and stuff yeah yeah you don't need that like high performance bike to just go in one spot yeah i'm good i'm good so outside of the military and then everything else we've talked about you're also a dog owner oh yeah are you planning on getting a dog tattooed on you somewhere also? or I'm getting her paw print on the back of my calf. I was uh, just joking, but... <laughs> oh, I'm not. <laughs> no, I, I love my dog. My, uh, my, I was uh, engaged for a brief period uh, a few years ago, and my ex and I, she had a dog, and then we got another one for me, and her dog ended up liking me a lot, and then my dog bonded her really well uh well when she left they were they were both in her name and so she got to keep the dogs and uh i didn't like process what was going on you know we'd we'd had issues for a while and you know just it just wasn't working out it was it was the best for both of us to split and i just you know when i get in those situations all i do is i just work so i was working at this electrical warehouse for a little while before i got my mechanic job i was doing like 12 hour days there and then uh, we were moving out of our apartment because my buddy, my army buddy that I moved here with had just bought a house. So I'd you know, work a 12 hour day, get off work, carry all our shit from the third floor down to, the, down to a truck on the first floor and then drive 25 minutes out to CUNA, unload everything in the garage. I do two or three chips and then I would just pass out. And then right after that, I went uh, to my, we had to do an annual field training for the national guard. So I went to my two weeks of training and those are like usually 20 hour days of training, minimal sleep, shitty food. It's great. Uh, and then I, like our last day in the field, I went on the Idaho Humane Society website and I saw this dog named Doc and he was like a German shepherd lab mix and his ears were all like wonky. So he looked drunk and I was like, that looks hilarious. So I called them the very next morning, like right when they opened, I was like, Hey, is doc still available? And they're like, yeah, he's here. I was like, hold him. I'll be there in one hour. I want to come, you know, see him. And so I, I hadn't showered in two weeks. I'm in my dirty ass field uniform. I probably smell like an inside out asshole. And I like walked in and I like went to the back desk and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm here to see doc. And this lady just goes, Oh no. 
I'm sorry. She, he, he was literally just adopted five minutes ago. Oh. And then I had like this whole like break. I was like, fuck. And she like looked at me really. I was like, I'm sorry. That's, I'm so sorry. That's, I'm, I didn't, it's not your fault. I'm not blaming you. I just, she's like, sweetheart, what's going on? And I just unloaded all this shit on this total stranger. I was like, I'm going through some shit. I'm exhausted. You know, I just went through like a, a breakup with my girlfriend. She got, she has both our dogs. And she was like, well, what kind of dog are you looking for? I was like, anything with German Shepherd in it. She was like, all right, well, we have one. Um, and uh, she's not on the website yet. And she's, you know, been in the Humane Society in New Mexico for three months and no one adopted her. So they sent her here because Idaho has a very high adoption rate and they generally keep the dogs. Yeah. Uh, they don't really have a whole lot of returns. And so I went and took a look at her name was um, Valeria. And I was a really weird ass dog name. So like, I took one of those private kennels and they told me she was skittish. So I let her off the leash. And I just sat down and let her do her thing. She sniffed around and she like walked up like really hesitantly to me and like leaned in like really close to my face, like right here. And I'm kind of looking at her. I didn't move. And she like licked my cheek and started getting all excited. So I played with her and uh, <clears throat> I was like, all right, I'm played with her for like half an hour, put a hold on her uh, so I could bring my roommate's dog. She's a pit bull that loves anything with a heartbeat except squirrels and cats mm -hmm. um but her name is abby sweetest dog ever and i was like i just want to make sure that she and abby get along yeah. so i brought abby the next day they were immediate best friends like inseparable all that jazz so i bought her like, did you want to change her name i was like yes and can i also get a penicillin shot <laughs> that lady like looked at me and goes oh my god her name does sound like one of those diseases i was like yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> so i renamed her scout and she's half german shepherd and half coyote and uh she loves chasing squirrels that's like the one time she won't listen to me is when she sees a squirrel or a, like a ground uh, whistle pig or a ground squirrel um but now she uh my girlfriend spent a lot of time with her over the summer because she was getting ready to go to taiwan to teach english at an elementary school and so she wasn't working and so when I did go back to work, she'd go and hang out with my dog and all that jazz. They actually were just here up here this weekend. So they left like 10 minutes before I, uh, I got on this call. <laughs> I'm but, honored. Uh, I'm honored, buddy. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, she's, uh, she's my bitch. I love her to death. <laughs> so scout new dog, love the bitch to death. Oh yeah. Just saw her. How are you feeling? She's good. She, uh, she's, uh, not meant for apartment or hotel living. Uh, she, uh, she's like a, she's a great security dog. Like I'm a pretty heavy sleeper unless she like notifies me of something. Like I had some kid. Yeah. I don't even know. There's some, somebody was doing some shit in my backyard. And so, you know, like I, I, uh, it was right after my girlfriend had moved back from Taiwan and, uh, I like jumped out of bed and uh i like started running she's like what are you doing i was like stay here and i was like guns in the night table she's like what I'm like yeah it's in the night table she's like what the hell is going on i was like i'll be right back so the dog and i ran in the backyard and this dude was like frantically trying to get over the fence because like scout is has a very protective personality especially with kids um i uh, i dated a gal for a little bit who had two boys and i was uh taking the dog for a walk and one her older son who was five was like hey you know can i come with you and i was like yeah buddy oh, absolutely." And so we were walking around and there was this guy who was very clearly tweaking on something. And the moment he got within like 15 feet, Scout like got in front of uh, in front of the girl's son and was like just 
completely kept herself in between the two of them. The guy like reached her, reached his hand out and she kind of bared her teeth. And I was like, he was like, Oh, your dog's an asshole. And I'm like reaching for a five-year-old. What the hell is she supposed to do? Yeah. Um, it's like, I feel like that's the normal reaction. Anyone oh, yeah. should have. All right, Jake, I could talk to you forever. Cause you know, you're, you're one of my best friends, but uh, I like to ask a couple questions from this pack of 170 hypothetical okay. questions just to wrap it up with a, a nice little bow. This question kind of pertains to you. Uh, if you died and had to choose one place to haunt for the rest of eternity, where would you choose to haunt? <sighs> Fuck, that is a great question. <laughs> you, you I are... would say a barracks at basic training. That would be my bread and butter. Yeah. I would just fuck with brand new recruits <laughs> for the rest of my days. Create like the worst and like most ridiculous stories of how you died and then oh, yeah. freak them out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I currently live near the Oregon Zoo. I don't know if you remember where that is. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, there's a cemetery right next door and there's also a forest. I was like, I could be that creepy ghost in the forest. That'd be kind of fun. I did a number of funeral services there when I was doing the honor guard. So and I think John's buried over here too. Uh, Willamette National Cemetery. Beautiful plot. There's always flowers there. So yeah, yeah. And then uh, there's a highway dedicated to him too. Now. Yeah, just... right. Uh, right by uh, what is that Beaverton Shopping Center or whatever it is. Yeah, Cedar Cereals Crossing, right? You still remember? Yeah, you still remember? Look it's been a minute. <laughs> just, just a wee bit. Uh, my second question is what, since you're a homeowner, what would be the most interesting or exciting thing to make a floor in a house out of? A trampoline. That's, that's what everyone said. Yeah. Either that or a waterbed. I think someone said, uh, oh no. Well, they said Legos, but I'd be very uncomfortable to walk on. Just oh God, you yeah. Dude, build I with Legos. Are you kidding me? I'll buy like those 10,000 piece things. You just sit there and my girlfriend's like, I can't believe dating a grown man who's bills with Legos. So I was like, would you rather I smoke meth? Because that's like <laughs> the other option. Like, I, All right, I guess meth is worse. I mean, like, look at my backdrop, man. I got like comic oh, yeah, book posters dude, and a, toys. I got a ton of bobbleheads. I got the Star Wars bobbleheads. I had them on my dashboard and I just got a, I just got a new truck uh, a couple months ago. I got this clear coat put on it. I went to go stick my bobbleheads on the dashboard and the clear coat is like an anti-adhesive. So I can't stick them on there. My girlfriend was like, thank God. I was like, fuck <laughs> you. That was my identity. You know? <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like trampoline would be fun, but I also need like both ceilings because, you know. I don't yeah, know. that would be, that would be pretty key. Um, can't have a shallow ceiling with that. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Nope. But yeah, like I, I would think like trampoline or uh, Legos would be, would be fun, but you know, yeah, walking on those little Lego like circles, that no, no, doesn't sound fun to me at all. Yeah, there was a couple of times I stepped on you know, mid projects. I was like, son of a bitch, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> so, Jake, uh, I'm not sure how socially media active you are, but if you want to plug your uh, your handles, where can the people find you on social media if they want to follow you? At uh, Jake Island is my Instagram. It's pretty much the only thing I'm on these days. Yeah, because I checked your Facebook. Uh, not a whole lot of pretty inactive. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I saw a lot of negative stuff that people were posting, and I just kind of got tired of it. So I took a break for a while, and then I missed the memes. That was like my main meme source was Instagram. So yeah, <clears throat> and I kept in touch with a lot of people using it. So I just kind of I unfollowed a lot of 
a lot of groups and uh, just kind of stick with people I mainly keep in touch with. And but you know, I'll, I'll have random. I had um, Jake Paulson actually hit me up uh, about a year year and a half ago, kind of out of the blue. You know, we were never really close or anything like that in high school. Just kind of out of the blue, hit me up, talked to him for a minute. Oh, that's fucking awesome. You know. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's kind of it's fun how like. So, you know, so many people are like so negative about social media, but this is like the good part about it. It's like I got to reconnect yeah. with you. I had a new number, so I couldn't really text you. And, yeah. You know, it's just it's nice to be able to know that like the people that I went to high school with that kind of helped as I was getting myself developed is still out there doing amazing things like yourself with the military. So yeah. Thanks, man, for coming All on the show. One. Much love. Thank you so much for sticking around until the end of the episode. If you like what you heard or watched and would like more episodes from Keone Chats, the show can be found on all major podcast platforms under Keone Chats. A video version is available on YouTube under Keone Chats as well. So like and subscribe on those platforms to keep in the loop as far as the next episode released. But if you would like to be a guest, go ahead and email me your story at kcmedia13 at yahoo.com and I'd love to get you scheduled. To keep up to date with all of the episode release announcements on social media, the uh, KC Media brand can be found on Instagram and Twitter under KC Media 13. And then on Facebook, it can be found under Kanluke Media. So until the next episode, everyone, please take care.